Hello and welcome to episode 311 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is someone very special. If you grew up the same times as me, you will know how big Reef were, one of the best bands on the planet and seriously one of the first live bands I got to see at many festivals and many gigs and always blew me away. So I'm thrilled to announce that on today's episode, I'm joined by Gary Stringer. This has been an interview that I've wanted to do for nearly two years and we've always tried to line up our diaries to make it work, but I'm so glad it's actually happened and I'm so glad it's worked out because it's a great interview and Gary is just on full form for today's interview. But what I always like to do on Mark and Me is touch base and talk about my last episode and how can I not talk about episode 310. I was joined by Pete Doherty and this was honestly one of my most downloaded episodes I've ever done. I've never seen a response like it. On my videos on YouTube, it's now doubled Biffy Clyro, which has blown my mind, and it's still getting so many listeners and so many downloads every day. So a massive thank you to everyone that took the time and listened to that interview. And if you haven't watched it now, please go on YouTube and check it out because it's absolutely brilliant, and I've never seen such positive feedback about anything that I've ever done. But today, it's all about the amazing band Reef, and I can't wait to share this interview with you. So here's me and Gary talking all things music. So Gary, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Hey everybody. Gary, what I love to do with all guests that come on this podcast is take it right back to the very start. So when you were a kid, can you remember those very first albums maybe you had on cassette or even record that were given to you or you bought with your pocket money that made you fall in love with music? Yeah. um, ACDC High Voltage. Wow. No doubt on cassette. Um, I'd had a couple of singles. I think I had um, a Duran Duran single and I think I had uh, a Culture Club single and, you know, bit, Bits and Bobs, uh, Jay Giles band, all, all sorts of, you know. I remember, I, I remember having um, some seven inches from my mum, The Who and uh, The Beatles, which which were, were wonderful to listen to. I'm a boy by The Who, I remember. But the first piece of music that was my own that really got me excited was ACDC High Voltage. And, you know, following that, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. You know, I love I loved those shots of them backstage with all their tattoos and their eyes blacked out. And it, you know, made me want to be in a band. That's some amazing foundations, like the Beatles, ACDC. It doesn't get much bigger. Like some people get into that later on, but you just went all out straight away. Yeah, my mum had um, the Magical Mystery Tour Beatles with the flip photos on 7-inch. And I think it might have been my dad's Who record, I'm a Boy. I loved that lyric, really, really great lyric. But yeah, my own thing, first of all, was ACDC and uh, Bon Scott. Um, you know, rock and roll singer. The lyric on that, I basically followed that. That was my uh, roadmap 
to, to where I am today, you know. Super exciting, you know, great guitar sounds, great, great It still rhythm. holds up, doesn't it, as well? You listen to it now, and it could have been recorded last week. It still sounds fresh. It still sounds brilliant. The production, everything about it just sounds huge. Amen. Uh, ACDC have obviously been going forever. Um, but I think listening to those records early doors, yeah, it's rock and roll, it's got to be in the unroll, you know. It's like the Stones, you know. Can you hear me knocking? It's got great rhythm, sympathy for the devil, you know, whatever you want to, you know, it's got to have rhythm for me. So, you know, hard, hard rock where where that gets sucked out is not so exciting for me. I always wanted to be in a band that, that, that rocks hard, but I always wanted to make, you know, the girls and boys dance as well. And um, that rhythm was really important. And ACDC had that and they had a touch of punk about them as well you know if you think about the mid 70s late 70s you know of course they had long hair and blue jeans and they didn't give a fuck um but but there was something punky about that the first couple of records and and bon scott to me was just oh, I, lo- I loved him to pieces unbelievable so what about live music because when i was growing up i'm 41 but one of the first bands I saw was Green Day in Wolverhampton at the, I think it was the Wolfram Hall then. And I was wondering, did you have a great experience for your first live band or was it quite embarrassing that you don't tell people or is it cool as like ACDC for your first albums? Well, I'm not going to tell you the embarrassing ones, obviously. <laughs> the first gig um, I ever went to, Bristol, um, with a local band called K Passa. And, and they were a bit sort of... Um, bit fiddly, um, bit poppy, um, it, quite exciting, great live show. Got the crowd going really well, um, you know, around the sort of time of, I don't know, the Wonder Stuff and the Hup, that kind of era. Um, so, yeah, a local band called K Paso was my first show that I'm tell you about. Come on, what's the embarrassing one? I, I One of my early ones, and they're not embarrassing, but I was a kid, my parents dropped me off at the Aston Villa Leisure Centre to see Cooler Shaker, who were a good band, but at the time everyone was like, why are you not seeing stuff like Foo Fighters or Smashing Pumpkins? Why are you seeing them? And I still tell people to millions of people on this podcast, you know, it's mostly Green Day, but the truth is Cooler Shaker was the first live one. Yeah, 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 Cooler Shaker. Paul, I played in a band with Paul, uh, the drummer, for, for a while. Did a couple of shows with him. He grew up not far away from me. And um, yeah, no, no, I'm sticking with K Passa. All right. So, what's your first big band then? What's the first band that everyone will know of? Um, oh, Jesus. I went to see Iron Maiden. I mean, wow. I love- um, I mean, you know, Number of the Beast, what a record. Uh, that Live After Death, fucking Huge. incredible. Massive. So, yeah, I'm not embarrassed by Iron Maiden, um, but I went I went to see them. They were super cool. And look at Steve Harris still rocking it out. Even the- today, yep. Hey, man. Kind of reminds me of Jack, really, our bass player, in the way that when he goes on stage, and I could certainly say this about Jack, there's never been a time in 30-odd years I've been playing with him that uh, he's never put 100% into, you know, that stage, that performance, playing. And it's, it's fucking inspiring. And I guess that's the same, same with uh, Steve Harris as well, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, I saw them at uh, Download Festival. I think it was last year or the year before. 
they still have the energy of the bands like Bring Me the Horizon who are just starting to try and really get the the name for themselves on the same main stage and worthy of that headline slot. They just turn up, rock up, and they're just like, we can do this all night long. Well, and they, you know, them and DC, you know, they've shown that outside of the mainstream, you know, I mean, they're probably, you know, gross ticket wise, still two of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah. I'm sure Beyonce would be up there. I'm sure Foo Fighters would be up there. Um, you know, but and Metallica, you know, they're all, a lot of the big bands that are still selling tickets are rock bands, right? Um, but yeah, Iron Maiden, yeah, great, loved it. So you said then when you saw bands and you listened to these records, you wanted to be in a band. At what point was it that you actually thought to yourself, I'm going to go down this road, I'm going to actually put all my eggs in one basket and try and be in a band and make a living from it? Well, um, I was 16 and I grew up in Glastonbury in Somerset and we moved to a village just out uh, from there. And I can remember trying to do my homework, looking out, it was a village with you know, a small lane at the back. And I remember looking out of the window, trying to get on with my homework and, and kept looking at this lane leading off. Couldn't concentrate. And I went downstairs and I just told my mum and dad, um, I don't want to do education anymore. I'm, I'm done. It was my first year at college, so I'd left school. Yeah. I went to college. I was still 16, but yeah, first term. And I'd met Jack, um, who had you know, big curly hair and was into skateboarding. And <laughs> we, we connected straight away and decided that we were going to form a band. And it was easier for me to leave because I'd only been there one term. He'd been there like two and a half years or two years or something. So it was maybe tougher for him. But um, yeah, we I went and got a job in a news agent, saved up some money, bought a PA, and we spun on down to Cornwall um, with... Uh, Julian Dean, the guitar player that was from, went on to playing Top Loader, and Brett Finley, great percussion drummer, um, went went on down to Cornwall in the van with the PA, and um, yeah, started our journey. We, I think, we came home six months later with dysentery, but it was <laughs> it was really really good fun. Were, were your family supportive, or were they like, look, you can't do this. You've just started college. This is mad. Or were they like, do you know what? Go and live your dream. They were a hundred percent. Uh, supportive and um, both of my parents were big into education there's no doubt about that they'd both been the first people from their families to go to university and had done well as a result um so they, they believed in education but they, they didn't stop me that first time i come down and i said this is what i'm going to do they were like okay um you know your rent's due on saturday you know it was like you go for it but you know if you leave an education you've got to pay up which I think is fair enough. And um, yeah, never they never stopped me. They've always been really supportive. And, uh, you know, without being too gooey, I love them to bits. No, it's awesome. My dad's my absolute hero, my idol. So uh, I celebrated the 200, epi- the 200 episode of this podcast with my dad as the special guest. So uh, gooey's all good with me, dude. Did he, did he spill some embarrassing secrets live on air? loads uh he told me about when he was joining the army and they pinned him down and uh covered his whole body including his cock in uh shoe polish and left him there for a whole day so i was like fucking hell dad like i don't need my listeners to hear all this oh my poor man yeah 
Weird, man, weird. But uh, he chose his time well to tell the whole world. You know, he didn't just tell me at Christmas around the dinner table. He's decided to tell everyone while they're listening. So that was good. Hard lines, Mark. That's it. That's it. But um, your band's been going nearly 30 years, which blows my mind. And did you ever, at that point when you released um, Replenish and have the success off, obviously, Naked, did you ever anticipate, because... It blew up overnight for you guys, didn't it? It wasn't like uh, you did six albums, you kept working away and you built your way up the stages. The moment that riff hit, and was it the Levi's advert it was on? No. Uh, this Well, that's part of what I'll tell you is my answer. The, the yeah. Levi's band called Stiltskin. Oh, yes, that was it. And they had a number one, you know, smash with, with whatever that song was called. And that was around, you know, six nine months a year maybe when we went and started recording our first record replenish and we told the record company you know we were i was really happy to go and do the advert it was no no problem at all we had a blast a couple of us had never been on planes we went over to new york you know christy turlington was certainly in the lobby when we checked in and you know it felt great you know limo picks you know the yanks are like uh, limo picks you up from the airport you know that must we felt be insane dude you're so young you're having your first proper bite at it and you're already in america like recording this video yeah it was really super cool it was really super cool i mean a lot of people put their nose out of joint um you know sounds melody maker enemy you know gave us a hard time about it but fuck them fuck yeah. them you know it, it was a good experience that we made sure that we didn't release naked as the first single because we thought if we do that we're gone um, and we released Good Feeling first. Yeah. And Good Feeling came out and went, I think, maybe top 30, maybe uh, 24, something like that. And um, then when we released Naked, it still went top 10, but I think we probably negated our chance of having a number one single. Um, but it all worked out. We had a number one on Glow, and um, it was it was, it was was all good. So, yeah, I was glad that we didn't, like, cash in in that way and, we always had that creative control with our label and they were cool about it. And yeah, it seems to have worked out because yeah, we started in 93 and um, yeah, 30 years later, here we are. Did you, after Replenish came out and obviously you saw the success and you saw the gigs and you saw more people buying your merch and albums and stuff, did you have this real kind of pressure within yourself to then how do we top this? Like we've left our mark on the industry. We've had an amazing couple of singles. We've, hit the top 20 and now we need to try and top this album. Like it must be a lot of bands fear when you do so well off the very first debut release. Yeah. Um, that was mentioned quite a lot, mainly by journalists and um, the record label obviously mentioned it difficult. Second album, difficult second album, but we were just flying. We were absolutely flying. You know, replenish had gone top 10. Uh, we, we released a, a standalone single weird, which went top 40, which done. Okay. Um, and we'd gone out, uh, on, we did a few shows with Caius on the West coast of America. What a band Caius, man. They are so good. Yeah. 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 And that was really exciting. And we'd done the first record with a fabulous producer engineer called Clive Martin. And we'd met George Draculius when we were out in America, I think. And he came over to London um, and started work at Abbey Road on the second album. But as a, you know, a 20, I don't know what I was then, 22, 23, maybe for the second or 23, 24. You know, as a guy in the band, 
you know, you're writing songs and it feels like it's all coming from your heart. It's, you know, the craft of songwriting, which I'm more aware of now, that was not part of our thinking at that point. Um, so it didn't really phase us, you know, going in to make the second record. But the one thing in hindsight, looking back, and I said this on an interview the other day, um, Muff Winwood, who signed us uh, Soho Square, came out to the recording of Place Your Hands. We'd actually gone from Abbey Road out to Los Angeles. George felt happier there. Um, and we went, you know, flew on out there and, and recorded the rest of the album there. And and Muff flew out. He was in the room when we recorded that song. So his songwriter brain must have, you know, clocked that this could be a hit. And it's only in hindsight, looking back, that you think, ah, I get it. Because for me, it was one of the, you know, 10 or 12 songs we were recording. I loved it, but uh, I didn't, you know, make those, con- when you're so young and full of enthusiasm, don't necessarily make those business connections, you know. But um, yeah, exciting, exciting vibes, mate. Did you did you notice within the band the growth or was it too hard because you were so kind of involved with it and so on the inside? Were you able to ever take a step back and be like, Jesus Christ, these V festivals now are on the main stage and now at Reading Window, you know, did you see that kind of huge, huge growth in such a short space of time? It was or it felt natural to us. We were going like a rocket. Um hope that doesn't come across as arrogant, but everything was doing better than the last thing. Everything was getting bigger. The the shows were getting bigger. You know, we were traveling all over the world. So it felt quite natural. It felt, you know, not preordained. We had to work hard. Of course we did. But everything we did at that point was turning to gold. Everything was exponentially getting bigger and bigger. So it it just felt like that was our life. Um, That's the only way I can explain it. Um, No like I said a minute ago, that there was no inward uh, calculation at that point. You know, obviously we must have had, I mean, you know, some great riffs. You know, Jack came up with the bass line and the chord structure for Place Your Hands in Abbey Road. He he was given a, I think it was a Fender bass or a Telecaster, I don't know about guitars. He he played the riff on that. Um, But it was just one of our songs, you know, um, and then everyone got really excited about it and it, and it went on and, and did, you know, really, really fucking well. Um, <laughs> Just a bit. It's like on every playlist ever on Spotify for like the best riffs or best songs from the 90s. Like it's an it's, iconic anthem, isn't it? It's the song. Like everyone, everybody knows that song. Yeah, it's um, super cool. Um, yeah, it's still selling a thousand copies a week or 500 some weeks, a thousand another. It's, That's um, mad, isn't it? That is absolutely crazy. Like twenty-five years later. Yeah, mate. Yeah, a- absolutely. And um, you know, just to put something to bed, I, I I love that song. I've always loved that song. There's never been any weird feeling with that. It's it's a really cool song to sing. I'm really proud of the lyric on it. And um, yeah, it makes makes people feel good, and that works for me. It's always good to have it for nostalgia. If you're ever, ever like in a club or before a gig and it comes on. Everyone knows every word and it just feels like it'll take you back to that time. So I might have been a teenager when I had that came out and I had no mortgage. I had no responsibilities. I had just the time of my life getting drunk and just hanging out with friends and being at gigs, you know, seeing you guys play and it just takes you right back to that moment. And that's, that's something any music can do. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, lyric aside, just something in music that you can't put a word to. And it is a feeling, you know, a feeling of getting ready to go out, of, of reclaiming the dance floor if you're a DJ. I mean, the amount of DJs you say, if I've got any trouble, I put your song on. And... <laughs> you must be owed so many pints of beer in your life. Like, we saved your DJ set many <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah. So does it carry on going good? Obviously, I don't know the whole history of your band. This is the first time we spoke, but did it feel like it just kept on going higher and higher? This road was going really positive, or was there any kind of, you know, rocks in the way or hurdles that came about that you weren't aware of? No, we were we were flying pretty much until we started our fifth record. Um, when Dom left, we'd started yeah. our fifth record uh, out in LA. So we'd done rides. Rides didn't do as well as Glow, so it wasn't up 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 um but it you know it still went top five and you know we had a, a top 20 single with it and it's still still done good and, you know, we were out in ocean way los angeles um recording and surfing and you know enjoying the sun and being in america um that was sounds pretty heavenly to be fair yeah it was ace and you know we switched it up we worked with al clay for getaway on the fourth record recorded that in europe and it was you know it was wonderful i mean you know going to tour america the support we got from the label was brilliant um you know also just... it's unheard of now isn't it to have four albums in five years like you must have not stopped yeah it was it was it was super cool and i maybe that's why dom left you know he just wanted on a break we had gone out to um la again to work with george and we'd done maybe six songs and as we left, George said, right, come back after Christmas. We'll finish finish the record. And we were signed for a fifth record. Um, but when we got back to the airport, Dom, Dom decided he wanted to leave. Fair enough. Maybe take a break. I don't know you know, quite what. But um, yeah, that, that was the first point where it was like, okay, things have changed. And we had shows you know, lined up until the following summer. We, we had to go out to Australia and Japan. So we took Nathan Curran, Tug came yeah. and played um on those shows and it was only really then Sony then made those six songs two or three of them were on like a greatest hits record there's like 10 however many you know top 20 singles we'd had <clears throat> all of them were put onto an album and they put one two or three of the new songs on there so it's kind of like a greatest hits with a couple of new songs but that that was it. That was, and as far as Sony were concerned, that was, you know, the, the lineup had changed and um, maybe they thought that was time to bin us, you know, but um, yeah, for that decade, it was great. And we got to whatever it was, the summer of or August, maybe September of 2003 or four. And we all decided just to take a break for three or four years. What did that feel like? Because obviously pushing the pause button, it wasn't like a big announcement that you'd split up and you're gone. It's more of like a hiatus. And um, did it feel like, what What am I meant to do with my life now? Like This has been my life of seven years. I'm used to singing every night, watching people dance and sing along to songs. How, how do you kind of have a normal day then and just go down the shop and get a paper or just hang out at home? It must be really a head fuck for me to try and switch off to a different completely... Well, you couldn't get much more of a different life, could you? Yeah, I um, I thought that I could maybe forget about music, that I could take a year off, you know, prat about, and, you know, I had a young family then. 
so I did a few, you know, if you came home and did a few school runs and and tried to, you know, get into that. And, you know, fabulous time. So lucky to be able to have a couple of years hanging out with, you know, young kids and being around when I hadn't been around. So that was, um, I was really grateful for that. But I would find myself, you know, in the kitchen at 2, 3, 4 a.m., you know, when everyone else is asleep in the house and I'd be recording, you know, melodies or scribbling down a lyric and and i thought i could forget about music but you you can't it's too embedded in you it's part of your blood isn't it yeah it was in me and um we actually ended up me and jack we got together we made a knucklehead rock record called them is me like a garage band sort of sound it was really good fun and we we did that ourselves um and you know went out in a small van and played to maximum 600 people you know a night and it was bloody brilliant i was gonna say it must have felt like pushing the reset button and kind of just taking it back to the roots and not caring about a record label seeing if you sold enough merch that night or sales you could just have fun again yeah it was it was good fun and it was a reset um we made two sort of acoustic styled records together under the moniker stringer besant uh charlie caplow extra mile picked up the first one so we album called yard went out through extra mile and then we did um one called the sb band still stringer best but the sb band where funnily enough we got dom back in on the drums amy newton the guitar player super singer and guitar, who now is the guitarist in reef um she came and played with us on that album and, and you know we had some did some shows in Europe and, and 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 around in the UK, and it was just a good time. I think we ended up even in our break, taking um, maybe we certainly did three records in five years. So um, you know, when where I thought I could maybe put my feet up, you're still still a busy boy. Well, it just yeah, not through any. I don't know what it is. It's just what you what I've always done. I don't think you'll ever stop, will you? Be honest. In 20 years, you'll still be working on stuff and doing a solo project or a, another little acoustic tour or something. You know, you're not going to stop, are you? I don't know. I mean, when we've just finished a two-year cycle album called Shoot Me a Race, yeah. which is our seventh album, maybe. And that was a really good experience. We worked with Andy Taylor. He produced it, uh, helped us write it, and was in involved um you know uh, playing guitar and, and it was a great couple of years we've had we went out to europe we've done uk shows all the main shows and then this year this april uh, 2023 we, we did provincial shows stack full of uh, festivals and when we got to the last banked holiday weekend the august one we'd done three shows that weekend camper calling we played glastonbury abbey in, which is in glastonbury where i grew up um wonderful beautiful ruins you know four or five thousand people absolutely epic beautiful, and then, yeah yeah we did car fest the following day and that was our last show in the books so we haven't got anything on till march next year gig wise um, and i thought well what am i going to do and then someone messaged me through the internet and just said um we come and do a solo show you know and i was like yeah all right and i'm not a great guitar player but i thought keep me out of the pub until Christmas and I've ended up I've got nine or ten of them so that's what I'll do until the end of the year and um yeah I'm enjoying it it's uh it's just it's nice to play music and to sing 
what was the point obviously we've come to now talking about shoot me uh your ace and obviously before that there was revelation but what was the point when you actually decided to make sure that reef was still a thing so i know you'd lost a band member and had a change in lineup and got a new guitarist etc but what was it was it you that made the call was it some certain person was it a record label what was it that made you then switch that button back on but after we stopped in whatever it was 2003 2004 possibly and had those five years six years you know down to doing our other things we were offered um some shows six shows by live nation right okay that was in 2010 so and that was with kenwin and dom came and played on those shows with us and now they all sold out so we thought oh you know and and more still a demand there yeah yeah, it, more importantly, it felt good on stage to be playing those songs, great fun songs, you know, that we, we'd done for that decade. And it just felt good. Um, but at the end of that run, we I think we did that tour. We maybe did a couple of summers of festivals um, and then one more UK tour and then a few festivals. And that's when Kenwin said, no, I think I might want to stop this now because we weren't we weren't making any new music. And no. He didn't want to, which is totally fair enough. He had his own project he wanted to start, um, which he's gone on and, and done. And um, a yeah, fabulous guitar player, fabulous. Um, so we were in that position where we either been it or we got a new guitar player in and we had some auditions and um, maybe five or six great guitar players came and played and... And Jesse Wood came in with his beaten up amp and guitar. And and he was the only one out of the five or six that we actually jammed with and not started writing a song, but started creating with. And it felt right to get him, you know, into the band. You know, fabulous rhythm player. You know, if you like Steve Cropper, you know, he's just got wonderful rhythm and sound on his guitar. And we ended up, you know, getting him in the band and, that started the process of writing Revelation and Ear Music uh, from a European German label um, came in and wanted to release it and and we were off. Um, so that whatever year that was, 20... 2018, I think. Later than, yeah. So 2018, we did that. Um, just carried on. Uh, we did, you know, I went out and sung on Andy Taylor's uh, solo record um, and... You know, he came over, he, I think he played Glastonbury Festival with us. We got him into um, our Somerset rehearsal space. And jamming just became, again, songwriting. And Shoot Me Your Ace was born. And, you know, that went top 20, which was great. And, um, yeah, we've just done a couple of years. And here I am. How's it? How's it feel when you accepted this one-off kind of acoustic shows just yourself? then announcing more seeing the tickets don't go well seeing these nice venues do you kind of feel really nervous because you haven't got your boys with you and you're not your kind of squad you're just you're literally on your <laughs> lonesome a hundred percent nervous yeah like i tell people when i do it i'm like i feel really nervous about doing this and no one believes me because you know i've been playing in in a rock band for 30 years but it's totally different yeah to turn- it's so intimate isn't it and then if if one thing goes wrong it's like hearing a pin drop it, it's down to you so one fluff of a guitar or you forget a lyric you can't hide it 
absolutely right. Um, but I think it's really good um, for me to do it. It's quite nice to feel scared, especially yeah. when be out of your comfort zone. It's good for you. Yeah, abs absolutely right. And um, all of the songs that I wrote on the acoustic, I can play really well. A couple of the songs that I didn't write, I I've struggled with a bit. But it makes it makes me feel good, you know. It makes me feel good to try and learn a new skill, i.e., guitar playing. I mean, you know, I've played. I've got something to say on stage and Lone Rider. They're quite quite simple chords. Uh, I've enjoyed it, and I think I don't think I think I will probably do some a solo record, um, maybe next year. But I don't think it'll be an acoustic record, if you know no. what I mean. It'll be a record, proper record, but. Um, or record some songs, however it works out. But um, yeah, I'm I'm enjoying little journey until Christmas, doing some shows, and yeah, I'm loving it. That's awesome. And I suppose you said you got some shows booked with Reef um, in March next year, and between Revelation and Shoot Me Your Ace was four years. Surely you're not going to leave it another three or four years now to do another Reef album, even though in the early days you were doing five albums every five years. Are you in a position now where you're thinking to yourself, do your solo stuff, maybe next year record a solo record and then look at Reef again, maybe a couple of years down the road? I, I, I don't think I'm even thinking about it to that degree. I think um, I want to be creative um, and, you know, it's, it's probably right after being on the, the road in a cycle of making shoot your race for two years to just take a pause. Yeah. You know, we, we've done some fabulous shows, you know, um, we've been at, went out to Barcelona, we supported the stones in Munich. It was wonderful UK shows. I went out to Ireland, you know, really good fun. Um, but I just want to be creative. I just want to, um, songs that you record on your iPhone, you know, I got a, a barn at the top where, 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 I, where I make music and, you know. So I'd like to see some of those come to fruition. I worked uh, the other month, last month, I went and met a songwriter, which was fun. So I'm quite open just to doing music. Um, and I'm not that fussed moment about quite what genre or style it, it is. I just want to be creative and sing. So that's awesome, though, isn't it? No limitations. Kind of do what you want. If it starts to sound bluesy or it sounds rock and roll, do whatever your heart tells you. Absolutely right. So that's that's where I'm at. And um, yeah, it was acoustic tour, man. That's awesome. Like that's really sound. Like to go out there, meet the fans. Obviously, I'm sure they've all got stories they tell you about the songs that you've written that changed their life. Some people may have got married to some of your music or. You know, th those must be the moments you treasure forever. Yeah, it's special. It's always good to hear those stories. You know, there won't be a week go by where I don't get a message from someone in Australia or wherever saying, oh, you know, so-and-so passed away and we played Consideration or I was out and it was a quiet night and the DJ put on Place Your Hands and the whole place, you know, or you helped me with music for a tough time or my baby was born and I've named him this or, you know, music touches people. It's, it's in us. And even if you're not into music, you're into music because I never believe anyone or trust anyone that says, I don't really listen to music. I'm like, are you not human? Like, how do you go 
live a life and avoid listening to music? Like, do you never have the radio on in the car? Do you never listen to it in a supermarket? Surely music's in your life somehow. Tell me a film that hasn't had a musical score. Exactly. Everywhere. Um, you know, from when you're in your mother's body, you know, you'll hear music, comes heartbeat, the rhythm, you know, birthdays, christenings, funerals, weddings, Friday, Saturday nights out, you know, football, you know, music is everywhere. And yeah, even, even people that just come and say, oh, I don't listen to music, but I know place your hands and yeah, <laughs> whatever it is, but it, it gives us so much pleasure. And um, it feels like magic to me. You know, when I worked with this song right the other month, we worked on a couple of ideas and we said, right, we're just going to write something from scratch, you know, from, from nothing. And, and I love that feeling of creating something from nothing, something that wasn't there half an hour ago. That, that for me is really, really special and really magic. And yeah. Also, I've been in bands before. I've never obviously been as successful as Reef, but I've been in bands that have been on tour and we got on Radio 1 and did an enemy tour and stuff like that. And there's moments when you connect as a group of musicians in a room, even if it's just like you said, you and a songwriter the other day, that moment that is magical that can't really be created anywhere else. You can't plan it. Something happens in a room or a rehearsal space where you just click and something happens and you're both on the same page or three of you on the same page. And nothing can break that. Like, there's a feeling of like, yes, we've all realized that something we've just done together has really worked. And I don't know, I don't think there's an equation or something you could work out that reasons why it happens. It just magically happens. And the hairs on your neck stick up and your rib cage kind of shakes and you think, that's fucking awesome. You know, we've created something magical. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I think, um, I mean, I love lyrics. I love, you know, John Prine and Bob Dylan, you know, great lyricists, Paul Weller. Um, but there is something special in just music that cannot be explained by by words. And and that is, is very, very special, isn't it? Um, like you say with your pals, you're in that room and the hairs on the back of your neck go up. Those musical modes that you're going through, consciously or unconsciously, are creating a sound that makes you feel in a certain way that sometimes you know can't be put into words so yeah it's super special and you'll never get rid of that like i said if you're doing an acoustic tour now you will have another reef album in you maybe a couple a solo album probably i predict next year this time next year we'll be talking about your new solo album that's finished i predict riot <laughs> what i do and it's my final question for you today and is would be i think perfect now to finish with this question but everyone that gets it um that comes on the podcast has the same final question you get to choose one piece of music a song something that means a lot to you not by reef by anyone in the whole world of the music industry but it's played after today's interview that me and you've just conducted so is there something that you absolutely love that means a lot to you that came to your heart that would just be the i the kind of ideal outro song for me and you today? Well, one of the things um, working, you know, like with, with George Draculius, there's never been a time where I've met George Draculius and haven't come away with new music, whether it's, you know, the Staples or whoever. Um, yesterday, uh, for the first time, I heard a song on a TV show, uh, Minnie Ripperton, uh, Les Fleurs, I mean, that blew my mind that I, A, I'd never heard it, and B, just how 
ah, cinematic it is, man. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, you, you know, you could play that, but a song, I guess, for me, you know, it would take us back to the start of our interview. I think you've got to play some off high voltage, you know. Yeah. Um, or Dirty Deeds. So it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. I mean, who puts bagpipes on records? Just sounds so incredible. Or rock and roll singer. Um, yeah, whatever. What, any of those. You choose. What's the one that's in your heart now, right now? Because it's true. The lyric works. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Perfect. That seems like the perfect kind of 360. We've gone around in a lovely circle today and it just finishes Lee, for me perfectly with that. Tied it up, man. That's awesome. This has been a long time coming, this interview. The listeners won't know this, but I think me and you've been talking for about 18 months trying to make this happen, but uh, it's been worth it. Thank you, dude. Hey, Mark, it's a real pleasure. I'm I'm a bit of a slacker when it comes to that sort of thing. Don't worry. I'm really glad we've done it. Thank you so much. And uh, I haven't looked at the exact dates, but if there's any UK solo shows that are near me, I'll do my best to come out. Come and say hello. I will do, and I'll buy you a beer and we'll uh, rejoice again. God bless you. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Mark. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Gary from Reef. What a great guy, what a cool, chill dude, and just a really nice human being. This interview, like I said at the start, has taken nearly two years to make happen, but I'm so glad it's happened, and I'm so proud of it. And if you're listening to this right now, Gary is doing a solo tour. I urge you all to go and get a ticket and check it out, because he's absolutely awesome. An amazing songwriter, an amazing vocalist, and just an all-round awesome guy. So go and treat yourself, go and check him out, and then let me know what you think. Also, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please share this episode. It means a lot to me. And literally, all it takes is a click of a couple of buttons. I will always keep bringing you Mark and Me episodes free as often as I can. But all I need you guys to do is retweet the episodes, share them, or give the thumbs up on YouTube, or retweet them, or even put them on your stories on Instagram. It really helps the algorithm and gets more people then aware of Mark and Me. And the next thing you know, people are checking it out and then hopefully subscribing. And then I've got a fan and that's something that money can't buy. So please, if you've enjoyed today's episode, hit that share button. Also, before I go, I want to give a big shout out to the sponsors of the podcast, Folio Society and Richer Sounds. If you're in the market for an amazing new book, and especially at Christmas time, treat yourself to something beautiful, then go on foliosociety.com and order yourself a brand new book. Also, thanks to Richer Sounds, who sponsor the podcast every month. If you're in the market for a brand new TV or Sonos or home cinema cinema surround system, then get yourself on richersounds.com. And also, if you want to support Mark and me that little bit more, I do have a Patreon account. Each and every month, I bring you exclusive episodes called The Lost Tapes. I give you stickers, badges, emails every month, and basically give everything I can to you guys to say thanks for supporting me. And you can sign up on there. There's a link on markandme.com. It costs as little as £1 a month. And honestly, all that goes right back into the podcast and allows me to host it on all these different sites for you guys at home and record podcasts whenever I can. I'll be back in less than 48 hours with another brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, take care, listen to Reef, and I'll speak to you all very soon.